Welcome to Chattachesis. I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback, PhD, and I'm also a deacon of the Diocese of Des Moines, Iowa. I'm your host of Chattachesis, a podcast series for clergy that helps them find creative and fresh ways to share the gospel message and promote missionary discipleship. This episode is brought to you by the newest K-6 catechetical program, Christ in Us and Cristo in Nosotros. It sets the standard for faith formation in today's world. Check it out today at sadlyreligion.com forward slash CIU. We think you'll agree that this innovative program will change the future of catechesis. On today's episode of Catechesis, we're going to be talking about a very sober topic. Uh, we're talking about the 20th anniversary of the Dallas Charter, uh, otherwise known as Protecting God's Children and Young People, or the Charter for Protecting God's Children and Young People. It was created in Dallas in June of 2022, and we're on the 20th anniversary of this important document. So for this episode, we're going to look at the document in brief. We're going to talk about a few other things that have happened since then to try to keep our young people safe and and to keep the vulnerable safe uh, in the church, and then talk about what do we need to do from here. So let's start by diving into the Dallas Charter itself. So it's important to know, as a, by way of context, that there are a number of pieces of infrastructure, if you will, that the United States bishops have put in place to help safeguard people from clergy abuse. And one of those is the Charter, which we'll get to. And then another one is a couple of organizations, one being the National Review Board and the Committee on the Protection of Children and Young People, both to conduct diocesan audits and they exist as a resource uh, to support dioceses and eparchies. Um, so we, we have a nice infrastructure uh, trying to support dioceses in their investigations of clergy abuse to guide dioceses in terms of best practices um, to prevent abuse uh, and to really try to stay true to the letter and spirit of the Dallas Charter. So let's jump into the Charter itself. Again, we're in the 20th anniversary of it, so let's take a look. First of all, the Charter mandates a commitment to a zero-tolerance policy for priests with credible allegations. So there's no him-hawing around. Uh, if there's a credible allegation, that priest is pulled from ministry, and there's no doubt about that. Uh, there's a mandatory and immediate reporting to the civil authorities of any allegations. And again, in the Charter, the focus is on priests uh, primarily, but also deacons as well. We'll talk about the absence of uh, bishop accountability in the Charter in a moment, but just bearing in mind the focus primarily on priests and deacons. Um, thirdly, the establishment of a victim's assistance offices. Uh, the National and Diocesan Review Boards, which I mentioned already, uh, is, is a wonderful body that's supporting diocesan uh, work and safeguarding of young people. The annual audits and safe environment efforts uh, came out of this charter. So virtues and things like that that we all um, are experiencing as part of our kind of ongoing learning about how to uh, keep people safe and to be safe ultimately to be respectful uh, of the dignity of others. And that uh, includes mandatory background checks and training for anybody that works with children. Um, 
whether you're in, in, in the parish or in a Catholic school setting. Um, definitely uh, the charter includes more uh, vetting, uh, more standards, vetting standards, if you will, for candidates in seminary. Um, you know, a magnifying glass has been on seminaries uh, for the last 20 years, uh, particularly with the um, emergence of so many cases of clergy abuse uh, between the time of the charter uh, and, uh, and then today. Granted, many of these occurrences of abuse happening prior to the development of the charter, but still uh, cases come forward uh, even today, and uh, including all ranks of the clergy. And so seminaries uh, are sort of under the microscope because they're the ones in charge of forming these young men to be uh, leaders in the church. You know, so the questions that are raised are, well, what kind of formation is involved? And what about psychological testing? Do we need to tweak that? What do we, how do we make it so that, you know, predators, people who are bound to prey on others, once they're sort of released into the church upon ordination, how do we find them before they do any harm? Um, other things that we can change in, in the seminary process to shore that up. So certainly the seminaries um, have been under the microscope and they've, they've done much to um, right themselves. And that's certainly something that we know can continue to be approved upon, but is moving in the right direction. Um, so, so I made a point earlier about the charter, which was that the focus is really on all clergy but bishops, which it, it's a very interesting um, absence, if not for any other reason than the, the primary director of the development of the charter was Cardinal McCarrick. And we all know that the trouble Cardinal McCarrick has been in and the consequences of that trouble and the shame that he's brought upon himself. Uh, and the church and the harm that he has caused um, many young men and many believers, people who want to look at the clergy through idealized lenses and they really want to see the clergy as representatives of Jesus Christ on earth. There's much damage that's been done to the credibility of the hierarchy because of the scandal and the effects of that damage really cannot be measured yet because they're still it's still unfolding. It's still sort of compounding even. Um, in fact, there was an interesting um, article, I believe it was in the National Catholic Register last month, again, which marked the 20th anniversary of the charter, uh, about, uh, you know, kind of where, where are we? Are we any better off? Uh, what needs to be changed about, the, about how we go about protecting the vulnerable? Because again, we're not just looking now at, at minors, children and young people. We're looking at all age demographics, anywhere there is a potential um, power, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, power imbalance. You know, when you have, I mean, clergy have a lot of authority uh, given them by the church, not to mention authority over the religious imagination, you know, sort of authority over the psychology of others, those the sort of the power differentials at play makes people very, you know, lay people, and even deacons like myself sort of, you know, um, hesitant to uh, challenge uh, the people, priests and bishops, hesitant to um, dispute with them, uh, and certainly hesitant to criticize them, although that hesitancy has been uh, 
getting less and less as as uh, we find the need the church finds the need to to continue to shine a brighter light on on clericalism which is really at the heart of this too you know closing ranks keeping things secret and hidden protecting ourselves or uh, and not and not protecting those that were uh, ordained to protect so to just kind of sum up the the um, protecting God's children charter the Dallas Charter um, it was it's a great it was great uh, official first step it was it's was wide in its scope but as I just mentioned with one lacuna which is there wasn't much to do about bishops and keeping them accountable now since the report we've had a number of uh, studies namely from the John Jay title the John Jay reports um, looking at sort of who are these people that are are preying on others and who are they preying on specifically and these reports uh, mention a lot of this has to do with, in fact, 81% of the victims uh, of abuse are found to be male, and 78% of those victims are post-pubescent. So that means they're, you know, physically mature, even though legally still still minors. Um, but we're talking about young men, uh, pre predominantly, although there is a significant number of cases of abuse of uh, girls and young women um, but why is this happening uh, it's it's not it's not clear uh, even though there's been multiple reports i.e. Uh, multiple studies of this it seems like it's a confluence of a number of factors beginning with the psychological well-being of the of the predator uh, the health of the predator what what's caused their condition um, the ideas in the past that that condition could be treated and the priest or whomever sent back into the parish which has absolutely been refuted um, and then cultural social factors um, from you know things dynamics of the 60s and 70s and sort of an experimental age and an age of free love as it was a, as it was called and the sexual revolution as it's been described and but there's really been no uh, persuasive, compelling, um, comprehensive sort of diagnosis as to why this has been happening in the Catholic Church and why it's been happening. So um, we have the reports, uh, we have their findings. Recently, um, as in 2019, Pope Francis released a apostolic letter which put into effect um, rules regarding the reporting, you know, rules and procedure for reporting bishops of abuse or cover-up. So that was, you know, 2002, we have the charter. 2019, we get a procedure for how to deal with bishops who have covered up abuse, um, how do we report them, etc. So many folks would say that's too little too late. However, other Catholics are happy that Francis has done something about this lacuna in the charter, that of bishops um, and holding them accountable. However, the, the document, which in Latin is Vos Estes Lux Mundi, you are the light of the world, it, it was established as something experimental, and it was to last for three years. And in fact, the uh, rules or the procedures in it uh, were set or to expire and have expired uh, as of June 1st of this year, 2022. So it was a three-year sort of 
experiment. But the rules are to remain in place. Uh, Francis has mentioned that and that bishops in conferences around the world are to take a look at this document and sort of three years out, what have we learned? What do we need to change about it or update? And that sort of thing. So there, there no doubt is going to be a Vos Estes Lux Mundi 2.0. Uh, the question is, when will that be and what will be in it? Um, but we've made a move towards holding bishops accountable with Vos Estes. Um, so Bosestis, the process, uh, some of the kind of difficulties with it, or one is that how do you handle an allegation against an individual who's a bishop now, but in the time the allegation was made, it was against the person when he was a priest. So that's one of the challenges that needs to to be addressed in the in Vosestis 2.0. You know, so the priest, uh, the, the allegation is made against a person who is a priest at the time. The priest is later ordained to be a bishop. Vosestis deals with bishops and, and the protocols around them. But we have the charter that deals with priests and allegations made against them. So sort of how do you, how does the charter um, square or complement or work with Estes. Okay, so that's one sort of update that, that we definitely need to take a look at. And then another one is that uh, with the charter, the priest, once an allegation has been made, um, they're pulled from ministry. And if the, if the allegation is found credible, that they're no longer, you know, practicing as a priest, you know, their, their faculties are, are indefinitely uh, suspended um, and and I, in, in some cases there and I don't like this word uh, laicized that's an old term it really needs to go away and it's rooted in the term laity but this idea that the, the priest is demoted from his status to be now a layperson uh, it's it's pretty condescending and thanks goodness many dioceses dioceses no longer use that term um, but this idea of the loss of their faculties to perform as a priest publicly, uh, that's the consequence of the, the credible allegation. Um, not to mention if there's criminal charges, then of course they have to face those. But the, the difficulty with Vosestis is that the Dallas Charter required accused priests to be suspended from public ministry until the investigation determines whether the uh, claim was credible but that's not the case in Bosestes. So uh, the bishop is allowed to remain in ministry during the investigation. So that, you know, again, that's going to raise eyebrows, raise concerns about clericalism and, and conflict of interest and all sorts of things like that. So that, to sum it up, the, the charter really inaugurated and established a full-on focus of clergy abuse and how to deal with it. We've had organizations develop alongside that, like the NA, the National Advisory Board, I'm going to say NAB, but Nash, or National Review Board, I'm sorry, and the Committee on the Protection of Children and Young People. Um, we've studied uh, the phenomenon of abuse, sexual abuse among clergy. 
which includes minors, but includes predominantly uh, minors who are physically mature. And then we've had Bos Estes Lux Mundi from Francis, which focused on how do we procedures for reporting of bishops of abuse or cover-up. Now we're waiting for a Bos Estes 2.0, which will address some of the concerns or you know, things that are lacking in that document, like how do we deal with a, priest, a, a person who's now a bishop, but at the time of the allegation was a priest, and how do we, is it right to have a bishop remain in ministry while an investigation is pending? Uh, because in the charter, the priest is not allowed to remain in ministry during that time. So what do we do going forward? Uh, first of all, we, we need to trust that God is in charge. We get into a topic like this, and it is so uh, deflating <laughs> spiritually. It's so disheartening, and and it, and it should be, and it should call us to to action. It should call us to advocacy. It should also call us to uh, to work for justice, but also to strive for compassion and to keep the tension between the two, where there is criminal wrongdoing. You know, there should be criminal punishments where there is um, the need for uh, healing and redemption, that should be offered as well. So there, there must be a tension between uh, justice and mercy here as we move forward in, in making our church a safer church and a church that respects the dignity of, of all persons, regardless of age, uh, race, orientation, etc. Um, we need clarity. Uh, going forward as to, you know, what are those things we need to shore up in our current procedures and, and protocols? We need greater accountability, as already been evidenced in some of the holes in, in the charter, as well as in Bosestis. Um, they need to be shored up. And we need transparency. In other words, from top to bottom, right, from the bishop on down or from the pope on down, uh, we need to be a church that champions truth. And not just doctrinal truth, and not just correct worship or worship in truth, spirit and truth, but to love each other and to, and to relate to each other as a people of God in spirit and truth. And part of that is to be transparent, to be honest about what has happened, uh, to, to be there to support, to listen to those who have been victimized to take them seriously, um, to not be quick to discredit for the sake of, uh, you know, uh, for the sake of, of just keeping up appearances. We have to be a church that really wants to heal. And it, it takes that twin effort of striving for justice and also offering compassion. Um, this, is a, this is a tough, tough topic, but it's a critical one critical for the future of the church, that we continue to present ourselves as credible witnesses of the gospel, particularly the clergy, but everybody included as well. And it, it, really, it really does speak to a, a reason why, the core reason why, it, in my opinion, um, we've really begun to, to hemorrhage Catholics, uh, you know, lose Catholics, over the last 20, 30 years. Um, it's, it, it, a lot of it, yeah, disagreements around church teaching, not, want to, not wanting to conform one's life to Catholic teaching. Everybody struggles with that. 
even faithful Catholics struggle with that. That's part of the struggle of, of faith and discipleship. It's part of carrying one's cross. But I think looming and really eclipsing the, the, the brilliance and brightness of, of the church's uh, worship and the church's evangelization and the church's identity is the pall of clergy abuse. It's just so dark. And unfortunately, it's so ubiquitous. It's, very, it's a global problem. Um, and until we church by parish by parish, diocese by diocese, conference by conference, and ultimately ending up at Rome, until we're all working in sync in ways that address the need for greater transparency and accountability and, and really speak to greater accompaniment, not only of victims, but just people, all people in the church, um, that Paul is going to remain and um, and the light that of Christ in the church will be a bit dimmed because of that. So let us pray as we close out this episode, uh, closing prayer. Let's focus on a prayer for first the victims of clergy abuse. Um, let's focus on those who work to um, try to protect God's people, which should be all of us. And let's also pray for... Um, wherever healing is needed, uh, wherever it's needed, and that ultimately we seek to be a more transparent and accountable church, not just because those are important virtues, but because they lead us back to being that beacon on a hill that Jesus calls us to be, being that light for the world. So let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious God, we thank you so much we thank you for the church. It is your gift to us. And we, we thank you for the sacraments it offers us, the doctrinal truth it teaches us, the prayers that it uh, gives to us to edify our souls daily, the reflections on scripture that it shares with us, and the people of the church, Lord. In a special way, we thank you for them and for your clergy. We pray that they may become beacons themselves more, become more transparent, let the light of Christ shine more brilliantly through them, that we get to a day where this idea of uh, abusing clerical power is absolutely shunned universally, that it's, it's denigrated as it was in Scripture by Jesus, by you, Lord. As you said, do not lord it over others. <laughs> Be their servant. If you want to be first, be the last. Help us all to desire that, Lord. May we grow in humility. May we strive for justice. And may we be, be also generous in our compassion to others. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been another episode of Chattachesis. I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback. It was great chatting with you. See you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chattachesis. Head over to sadlyreligion.com forward slash podcast to hear more. And don't forget to request your sample and trial of Christ in Us and our bilingual edition, Cristo in the Sotros, at sadlyreligion.com forward slash CIU.